There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Afternoon to you. Welcome, Lori and Julia Show. My Talk 1071, Everything Entertainment. Thank you for joining us uh, once again today on the program. We'll give you a chance to uh, guess the celebrity voice and win tickets to see Sarah Bareilles at the X next Wednesday night. Stick around for that. Another stuff coming up. We just got one thing to say, Donnie. You put the C oh, in single. Oh, boy. But I yeah. mean, honestly, Lizzo last <laughs> night turns out. She is 100%. Fun. That video was so much fun, Donnie. We had the best time. It was so much fun. Yeah, Chris Riemann Schneider, uh, he he writes, she showed her true star power Wednesday night at her first of two sold-out concerts at the Armory, not since Prince's 1984 Purple Rain Tour finale in St. Paul has the return of a locally-rooted musician sparked so much excitement, pride, and inflated ticket brokering. Oh, yeah. Um, can imagine. Mm-hmm. 8,000 and something people went. Yeah, he yeah. writes, it was 8,700, I think, is oh, what okay. the Armory sold out is. And she sold it out last night and then again tomorrow night. And five years ago, Rima Schneider writes, you may have caught the 31-year-old singer, rapper, dancer, and now film star hosting Trivia Night at the Nomad Pub. Absolutely love that. Or singing backup vocals at First Avenue. And she returned to her former hometown with the number one song in the country and one of the hottest concert tickets of the year. And the 16,000 tickets for the two show shows sold out in hours. And they were getting five times original sale price on the resale site. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she her a nod to Prince, who was an early supporter. He he picked Lizzo as someone to watch in 2015 and then a Yahoo Music yeah. thing. But she said, you've healed me. It's like I purified myself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Uh-huh. Ah, did she do a Prince song? She did not. She didn't. I don't. She did. She did a little Aretha Franklin. She did a little melody. Yeah, she boys when she did boys, the whole place was singing with her. Yeah, and uh, of course, also when she did, um, you know, uh, Truth Hurts, which is going on its seventh week, is to be number one, and it's been featured everywhere from Stumptown. Opening the TV show we watched. The, the TV show we watched to MLB baseball uh, telecasts. Um, just that song has been everywhere. Do you hear everywhere, morning everywhere. shows even using it to it as in and out music. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bumper music. It was so fun. Shout out to um, 
our besties at Energy Pilates and Fitness. Yeah, those ener- those Energy Pilates bunnies really have a lot of uh, energy. <laughs> we laughed so hard. Oh my gosh! Well, they had many of them didn't know about the nipple enhancers that we invented. Thank goodness, we wore them and brought them. We brought them out for Lizzo. <laughs> yeah, we brought them for Lizzo, but With we no never way saw to get her. To her. Yeah, no way to get to her. No way. <laughs> that was just such. You know, a- she's going to be on SNL. I saw that in Chris's story. What is that? I don't know don't what know. date she's on, oh, but okay. uh, hopefully it's with Eddie Murphy. Oh, my, that, that would be good. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be good. It was. It's just really. She just has great energy. It was really and super people fun. People sang along, and I mean, we were up in a like a sweet thing. So we we're up on. It's like the armory reminds me of a huge First Avenue. Yeah, because you're it's right. that U shape. There's an upper level, the lower level, and the people on the floor were just dancing. It was a sea of arms, and she just seemed like she was just having a blast, and the crowd was certainly having a blast, and every once in a while, the sound seemed muddied yes, to me. we both thought that. Because sometimes there's she's singing over her vocal track, mm-hmm. track, and that's where I think sometimes there would be like this reverb, and it would be just like, whoa. But then, you know, you just... You know, take another sip of your cocktail and start singing again. Yes. I'd like you to share how your bedazzled, sparkling boots. boots that you purchased that were such a fine that you wore last night worked out for you. They're very hot. I had hot foot. <laughs> Donnie. She, oh. she was the one foot. Your feet could breathe. Swarovski crystals. Sweaty feet? Oh, oh my was, God. My feet were on fire. <laughs> she had to take off her shoe. And just hobble along. No. Well, I wasn't. I was dancing on my tiptoes. Sure. So people would notice <laughs> <had> my shoes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was so funny. I'm like, where's your shoe? Oh, my foot's so hot. My foot was the one foot was so hot. Why well, have one shoe on? <laughs> and your feet get hot. Oh, I, I know that about you. I have oh, the only place on my body with overactive sweat glands. <laughs> my feet. <laughs> It's so funny. And then shout out to the people in the suite next to us. We had some listeners there. Super and, fun. We and, saw all kinds of people. Yeah, last it was night. so fun. It was so fun. And then we uh, ran Matt into... Belanger was with us, Donald. Yeah, he was dressed up like a character from Xanadu. <laughs> That's an interesting choice. Right down was, to the bandana no, and the short shorts. Honest <laughs> he was wearing shorts? Oh, well, yeah, well, it was a know, hot night in there, It Donnie. was hot. Yeah, inside. Was he was on the there? floor where if people you were, were going to be dancing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. And there was a lot of hot. Yeah, there were a lot of shirtless. And the birthday boy, Tyler. Yeah, di- mm-hmm. happy birthday. And I'd say the crowd was 70% women, 30% yeah. guys. There were more guys than I expected. Yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. And one, the cl- people next to us, a husband surprised his wife and invited all of her girlfriends. What? And they, she just found out like at dinner. Oh my gosh, that is... Isn't a, that a great that surprise? That is such a great present. Yeah, I thought so too. So that was kind of... A- I mean, he's going to get bonus... Bonus Hugs for days on that one. Bonus Lizzo laps. I That's mean, right. It was it was fun. But she played the flute. She, she did. did. She, she did. played okay. the flute, yeah. and she ended with juice, and everybody sang along, and we were laughing in our suite about you put the C in single, and there were a couple other people who thought she was just saying. See, be like, see you next yes. Tuesday, or see you later. How you'll write in a text? Yes. You just you see. That's I swear. Oh, Lori. Okay. I know. And I, I can't <laughs> hold that last note. So I'm just going to continue to say, see. Alrighty. That was see. funny. It was so funny. We it, That was just so funny. That place is big. The armory? Yeah. But it's. 
intimate at the same time. Yeah, as because it's not a Target center or right. Excel. It's not that big. So a lot of standing room. Yes, yes. A lot of standing room. That would. That's a good place to yeah. see a show. Yeah, and a good place to see a show and not have you know to be out down on the main floor. Like if I'd been at that concert with Casey, you would have been. We would have gone way yeah. up front, even though I would have had a hot foot. Your foot would have been hot. You would have been carrying your boot along hobbling. No, I wouldn't have. I would have kept that boot on because I don't want to get a broken foot again. But I, we would have just would have had the hot foot. Because I mean, when Casey and I work our way up front, uh, when he stands up, when he goes to his full height, nobody's mad. <laughs> and I just didn't have the energy to do it. He plows no. through. Yeah, but mm-hmm. when you're wide and uh, and not but that tall, you can break the people you're wave. Calling Casey wide, well, with his thirty inch waist, but he's got broad shoulders. shoulders. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. thirty one inch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can you? I had that in seventh grade. Call him what? Wide thirty inch waist. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, it's not easy living with no. a man with that tiny of a yeah, waist. Really. Wow. I mean, I'm <laughs> constantly having Does he have to... have to buy jeans in the boys' department sometimes? No, 30, no, 30 is a well-known well really? size. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I believe I remember when I wore 30, 30 mm. Levi's, and remember how they'd have your waist on the back of oh, them? Oh, yeah. And I'm Did like, you scratch it I'm out? as wide as I am I'm tall. tall. Right. <laughs> 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 Took the label off. <laughs> this is really not... No, I always left it on, but yeah. I wanted, you know, I'd wear sweaters trying to cover the You were 30. wishing it said like 26. Because the 30 was really even long. I'm really like a 30, 29. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if I really was doing it right, and I'm like, I'm way wider than I am tall. Oh my gosh. I know. All right, listen, uh, we got to go. When we come back, we are going to hear from one of our favorite people, and it's one of our, it's our story we can't get enough of. Uh, Julie Andrews is Mary Poppins. I was so delighted this morning to see on GMA Diane Sawyer doing another celebrity sit-down for another book. A couple weeks ago it was Demi Moore. Yes. And now it's Julie Andrews who has her, I think this is her second memoir. It is. It is. It's called, it comes out next week. It's called Homework, a memoir of my Hollywood years. And she worked on this book with her daughter. So here uh, she is talking to Diane Sawyer about uh, Mary Poppins. You're age 27. Do you remember the first exchange of the first movie that you ever did in your life? You mean the first take? And Mary Poppins, yes. Yeah, I do. Um, Dick Van Dyke said, Mary Poppins, you look beautiful. And all I had to do was walk across camera and say, do you, do you really, really think so? so? And what so it began. Mind? And it wasn't how she said it. It was that something in her face told you that there was someone named Mary Poppins who wanted to heal your world and make it bright. By the way, she invented those feet. The feet need to be turned out. Why? I don't know, but you don't want droopy feet at the end of the image of the umbrella. They just sort of flapped about. And early on, she showed she could do anything. A robin feathering. You need a tweeting robin? You're doing that whistling? Yeah, I was very good at whistling. Who knew that? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> that she's such a good whistler. Uh, yeah. Remember how much we used to whistle? I know it. I know it. So anyway, I thought that was cute about the feet. And yes. then they showed the thing, how Mary Poppins, and they she would with her feet out 
Like a penguin. Like a penguin, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Here, uh, there, as Julie Andrews talking about uh, the intense rehearsals for Mary Poppins. Yes. Every scene had to be perfect. Some of them taking six weeks of rehearsal. I was learning on my feet, Diane. I mean, so fast. Every day, up before dawn, home after dark. She was also breastfeeding her new baby. The stern, formidable P.L. Travers, who had created Mary Poppins, even phoned her the day after her baby was born. And she said, well, talk to me. I gather you're going to be doing Mary Poppins. And I said, well, um, I've just had a baby and I'm feeling a bit groggy right now, Miss Travers, but how lovely to talk to you. And uh, she said, well, you're far too pretty, of course, but you've got the nose for it. My ski nose. (laughs) No wonder the costume designer, who also happened to be her husband, Tony Walton, created a kind of message. He had secrets in the costumes. Yes. He said, I fancy that um, Mary Poppins has a secret life, a kind of quiet pleasure at being a little wicked and uh, naughty. Underneath all the skirts, there were other colors. And so when I kicked up my heels or when I moved, you just caught a flash. And she Um, would, like, when she would do a twirling or dance, mm -hmm. you might see a pink kind of a... Like bloomers. Bloomers, I guess, would have been the clothing Mm -hmm. that they were wearing. And so, yeah, I I guess he was her her first husband. Her voice is so Isn't it? Okay, let's play the next one where she's talking about this new memoir, Homework, a memoir of my Hollywood years. It's all here in her new memoir, Homework, the story of a life lived in the place where home and work are in collision. A life that began with that little girl endlessly traveling through music halls in vaudeville. She was helping support her unsteady, cracked family. You grew up in a turbulent household of alcoholism, anger, mm-hmm. uncertainty. And despair on my mum's part and things Depression, like that. Yeah. despair. As a child, a lonely life on the road. Here, even singing for the King of England. She promised her mother she would make it all right. As a teenager, buying the family home. But through it all, a supernatural gift and an escape from the sorrows in her life. And it was like four or five octaves and I could, you know, dogs for miles around would howl when I went way, way up into the stratosphere. F above high C. F above high C was twice nightly at, in my debut, yeah. Wow. I mean, That is serious. And she, and she was like 10 when she sang for the King wow. of England. Yeah. I mean... You mm-hmm. kind of forget how amazing mm-hmm. her voice is. Let's play the last uh, cut, Donnie. And the joy of that music would propel her through movie after movie, Movies. albums, concerts, a golden career, and a struggle at home. I finally got enough courage after the first week to say, I don't understand why I'm weeping so much. I can't seem to stop. You know, you're surrounded by the wagons and suddenly the cavalry comes up over the hill in one of those westerns and you weep for relief. Well, your whole life had been geared toward a sort of perfectionism. Yes, well, those lovely first movies were no help either. (laughs) No. Mary Poppins practically perfect in every way. And she wasn't, so... In her memoir, Homework, the courage it takes when you're in a marriage with something you cannot fix. And summoning strength when a horrible surgery takes away her singing voice. Mm. She writes of one song 
and singing a note designed to carry everyone closer to their happy ending. The song was Jingle Bells. I didn't feel it coming. Go out. Further out. Wow. That's unbelievable. Her voice was so crisp. Crystal. I would, I would, we had the albums and I'd lay down in our dining room because our speakers were like in the dining room doors or something. Yeah. Because we were, my mom's big into music. Mm-hmm. And so I'd sit and listen and listen to the sound of music and to Mary Poppins over and over. She had such a distinctive, beautiful voice. And and just when she had that surgery, and they nabbed her vocal cords, and she could never sing again. I was just like, "How is that possible?" I know. I she's got the voice book. of a goddess. I would love to read this. Oh book. my god! The Donnie, second this, part will be on tomorrow on okay. Jimmy. With, we have uh, to Diane. catch that, Danny. Hmm? Oh, if you could get us this book, it's she's. Yeah, I already put it in the request. She's always been. Yeah, yesterday, and I don't know if it's going to be a part of a 2020 that Diane Sawyer right. and they're just previewing it on uh, on GMA. But I just thought, oh, she I, has the voice of an angel. I mean, but she's a lovely person. Yes, you know, so and, talented. Yeah. And I don't know what happened with their first marriage. We have to find out. Tony, because she, she fell probably in love wrote with about Blake it. Blake Edwards in, in her first book. Yeah, Blake Edwards. She was married to until he passed away, and she was in Victor Victor Victoria. Yep. Yes. Yep. And then, of course, he did Arthur. Yep. Mm-hmm. Liza with Liza Minnelli. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, she uh, uh, we will meet her daughter in tomorrow's uh, GMA appearance because her daughter worked with her on this book, and, and they've written. Written, didn't they write the children's books? books? Yes, yeah. they've done some children's books. Because um, um, the clip they teased for tomorrow, it showed, it's like Julie Andrews was on the verge of tears as she recalls using music to um, overcome tough times and her second marriage when Blake died of complications due to pneumonia. Mm. And... Um, and she said, you know, it's not easy for me to talk about sadness because people have this image of me as this, you know, happy-go-lucky. Happy yes, and this make special, everything okay. Yes, I make yeah. everything okay for so, everybody. Anyway. Oh, interesting. I can't wait. I know. I thought that was really, I thought, it was, I thought it was a great interview. And keeping with the musical theme of our ears still singing and ringing from Lizzo last night. People had so much fun. And oh. we, the only thing we didn't check was her merch. The one thing no, I always why do. Well, I don't know. You had the hot foot. No. <laughs> we, I don't know. I don't well, know. When we win it, we win in a weird way. Well, once we were in the confines of our little suite, we didn't want to leave. That was the problem. You know, and they weren't selling merch up on that level. <laughs> because my friend Tom got a really great Lizzo t-shirt. Oh, really? I don't even buy that cute. Anyway, listen, we will be back. So excited. We are very excited. William Kent Kruger is joining us next. He has uh, written another amazing book. Uh, it's called This Tender Land. And we're going to be talking to him about that when we return.
Thanks for hanging out with us. Well, one of our favorite authors in the world is in studio with us, William Kent Kruger, for his book, This Tenderland. And our book club sponsor is Winding Trail Books, which is located in Milton Square in St. Anthony Park. And you're going to be doing a book signing there November 12th. Yeah, they're right in my neighborhood, and they are just wonderful folks. Oh, what? I love Good. this bookstore. And this used to be... Uh, Muffaletta? It's around Muffaletta, isn't it, where it used it's to be? It's right close to Muffaletta's, okay. which has changed hands. It's now near goes yeah uh, it's close to where um macabre's used to be yes, that used yes, to be yes, the yes. Local so that's bookstore. our bookstore in that little neighborhood yeah. so winding trails book so we thank them very much so okay it's so Describe, good to see you yeah this he's book. minnesota's own yeah william kent kruger <laughs> so he has to get that in and you know i um it was just this book is so good it's this tender land so tell us how it came to be well um because it's different than your Cork O'Connor series. Yeah, I've written two standalones that are companion novels that are both quite different from the stories I write for my Cork O'Connor series. Six years ago, I published Ordinary Grace. Which was one of our favorite books that oh, year. It's done so It's sold almost a million copies I know, that's amazing. Yeah. I hope it's you're taking really your well. wife on that's fabulous <laughs> vacations. <laughs> I treat her very nicely, thank Good, you, Mark. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I always knew I wanted to write a companion novel. I took a whack at it, spent two years trying to write a companion novel that sucked to and this ordinary grace to ordinary grace ordinary. um it was uh it was under contract but i asked my publisher not to publish it so i could really write the book i should have written which turned out to be this tender land and then in what way are the two stories related uh, i call them companion novels because for for anybody who's read ordinary grace it's not a sequel to ordinary right. grace it doesn't deal with the drum family who are at the heart of ordinary grace i call it a companion novel because like ordinary grace it's set in southern minnesota and like ordinary grace it's set in an earlier time ordinary mm-hmm. grace if you know the work was set in 1961 this tender land is set in the summer of 1932 deep in the great depression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay and, and it, 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 Give people the setup. Oh, it's so good. Okay, it's the Tenderland. uh, So it takes place in the the Great Depression, the summer of 1932. It's the story of four orphans running from the law because they've committed a terrible crime, but for the right reason. They know if they take to the roads to get away, they'll be caught really quickly because a huge manhunt has been launched to capture them. They're afraid to ride the rails, as everybody was doing back in the Great Depression, because the railroads back then were patrolled by private cops called bulls, and the bulls had a reputation for being incredibly cruel. Rule. So the kids are afraid to ride the rails. Instead, they decide to take to the rivers. They canoe a river called the Gilead to the Minnesota River. They canoe the Minnesota River to the Mississippi. And their plan is to canoe all the way down the Mississippi River to St. Louis, where they believe they have family and they'll be safe. I've always wanted to write an updated version of Huckleberry yeah. Finn. Yeah. This is my Huckleberry Finn. Well, and you know, I was reading about that, and I feel like we should know this about you now, but your dad you know, was an English teacher, right? That's right. And so you fell in love with Huck Finn as a child. Uh Uh-huh. And Ernest Hemingway was your favorite. He was, he was for a very long time, the guy I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Well, just in yeah. the sense, the adventure, the voice, I guess the young boys, the different kind of cast of characters where everybody is bearing some kind of, you know, horrible something, but yet the human, I don't know. I the get where, ch- I see where yeah. all of that, that influence comes from because your stories do read like that. 
Yeah, um, I uh, I write a more um, I write a more fluid prose than Hemingway wrote. He was pretty uh, staccato, pretty straightforward. Uh, I don't do that anymore, although I tried for a very long time. No, I wrote uh, I wrote a story that I hoped would flow mm-hmm. in the way a river flows, in the way the rivers that the kids are on. Oh. Uh, would flow, and it is a series of adventures that the kids have as they flee this horrific environment uh, where they were essentially prisoners for a very long time, and so they flee toward a place where they believe hope awaits them. I'll give you, let me give an example of William's prose, okay, because I had to underline this. I just was like, we breathe love in and we breathe love out. It's the essence of our existence, the very air of our souls. I mean, you write these sentences all over it's, the place I, I in you your books. You know, You're so sorry. good. My editor wanted me to cut that sentence and no. I said, no way. It's so good. <laughs> no. It's so good. And so anyway. it's, it's the book, you know, starts out with these two brothers, Odie and Arthur, that are orphans and they go into the school for, um, Indians in Minnesota and you know I've you've always written had Indians um as part of you know your Cork O'Connor series and everything and and I was reading that you got a lot of um this book from Pipestone my life in an Indian boarding school mm-hmm. what is it have you always been fascinated with American Indians or well, I was a cultural anthropology major in college, that so makes I've sense. been fascinated by other cultures for a very long time. My um, my awareness and my understanding, as it exists, um, of the culture of the Anishinaabeg, the the Ojibwe, really began as a result of my decision to write stories that included the Ojibwe as an element of what I was going to write, mm-hmm. which came about as a result of my decision to set my Cork O'Connor series up north. And you can't really tell a true story set in northern Minnesota without including the Ojibwe as an element of the work, because their influence up there is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, and mm-hmm. it's powerful. Um, so I uh, I fell back on my old research skills from college and began to learn about the Ojibwe culture, meet members of the Ojibwe community, and uh, and it's progressed very nicely for me, and I hope for the Ojibwe community since then. Yeah, and it is kind of scandalous when you think oh. about what that they would take these Native kids and send them to boarding schools so Not, that they wouldn't be, you know, na- I mean, taking them away. Taking away and, the language, making them dress like other children, you know. it's We don't really know that much about it. It's really not taught or part of our history. Uh, it, it seems to be like... Yeah, it's it's another one of those uh, uh, portions of our history that we simply want to ignore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for a hundred years, uh, the law was, if you were a Native American parent and the government came to take your child and ship them off to a boarding school, maybe hundreds of miles from their home, from the reservation, um, you could do nothing about that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was the law until 1978 when the National Indian Child Welfare Act was passed. Aren't we Isn't kind that... of doing that at the border right now? <laughs> it's just history not repeating <laughs> Don't itself. Don't get me started. I know it, but I you, mean, it's... really... It's that's crazy that it was so 1978 when the laws changed. Yeah. It's um, the book. If you're just joining us, we have William Kent Kruger, St. Paul's own, and this Tenderland, which is just it was on the New York Times bestseller list. Three Lori, weeks. You were the indie <laughs> book pick. Um, that was the number one pick mm-hmm. for the indie, indie stores across the country yeah. in September. And you know, um, there's themes throughout the book, and what this the spirit of these young people in that. Love was always the bottom line. 
of everything you do. Yeah, what I wanted to talk about, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this tender land is what is family. And family is so much more than simply blood ties. We're bound by our love for one another. We're bound by the history that we share. We're bound by our goals. Sometimes we're bound by geography. Um, and I wanted to talk about children who were leaving a horrible place behind in search of something better and really in, ter- in search of them, their true selves. Mm-hmm. And they were so young. I mean, these they're so young. And I loved, you know... Well, Sister I Eve. Oh well, that, yeah. I, let's I talk about the, the, I mean, the traveling, <laughs> oh the revivalist, because I do know from some other like historical fictional books we've read about read where in the Great Depression there were more circuses and like revival church, whatever you call them, these big traveling, traveling things. So circuses and then these traveling that that was a thing that did happen. Was that part of your research that you found out that that was a big thing in the Depression? There was a huge revival movement in the early part of the 20th century all over the country. By the time the Great Depression uh, came around, that had died out in much of the country, except the South and the Midwest. You still found lots of traveling uh, evangelical um, religious revival Mm -hmm. programs going on. and, uh, And I based my... Sort of Gilly, sort of Gideon healing crusade mm-hmm. after the kinds of revival shows that used to um, frequently appear in small towns and also large cities in the United States during the Depression. They were still happening. But and Sister Eve was such a lovely. She was one of my favorite characters. I, she was because we don't know what to think about her. No, I don't know. I didn't know her. at all until yeah. until you do know. Yeah, you yeah. know until you do know, and then the twist at the end of the book. Surprising. Oh, good. Su- very surprising. Didn't expect that at all. Well, then I did my job. You did. I mean, oh my gosh. But the Sister Eve, just her spreading of God's wonder and of love and how there's something else besides us. You know, I thought that was really magical. I love Sister Eve uh, for many reasons, one of which is she's really a woman of the world. She's a worldly woman. Yes, she, she is. understands uh the uh, the darker nature of of human beings, but she also understands how they can achieve something better, how she can help them achieve something better. Yeah, it was like she could overlook some of the things that they were doing in her fervent belief to get people to believe. There you go. You yes. know? I you mean, go. that was like if you would have some more hope, you know, there is something self fulfilling sometimes. About Reach that. down into yourself. All you need is there. Yeah, and she helps them see that. Yeah. Oh, oh, all right, we oh, got to take a break. So we're with. I want to read it again. We're with William Kent Kruger. <laughs> the book is called "This Tender Land." We'll be right back. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're talking to William Kent Kruger about his um, coming of age story called This Tender Lamb, which we just absolutely love. And I know that you are going to be at the Rain Taxi Book Festival this weekend at the State Fair. Is that Saturday? It is Saturday, all day Saturday. And it's the Twin Cities Book Festival sponsored by Rain Taxi. Okay, all right. So tell us what happens at this, because it sounds like it's going to be a crappy day here and a good day to be at a book festival. Oh, it's an absolutely 
perfect day to be at a book festival and listening to authors uh, talk with each other and talk with the audience about writing, about their work, about the joy of stories, of reading, the importance of the written word. Um, boy, you are walk out of there a much better person than you walked in. All right, so like name drop some of the people that are going to be there with you, William Kent Kruger. Sure, I'm going to be in conversation with Leif Enger. Uh, for uh, listeners out there who don't know his work, he is... No one white writes better prose than Leifanger. Peace I, like I, a river. Yeah, peace like a river. I discovered him with that stunningly beautiful work, followed by so brave, young, and handsome in his most recent Virgil Wander. Mm-hmm. He is a magnificent, luminescent so storyteller. So you two are going to talk. So we're going to talk about storytelling, okay. and I'm looking forward to that immensely. Um, let's see, Faith Sullivan is going to be there. Um, Ben Percy is going to be there. Uh, oh, lots and lots and lots of people are going to be. Kilo Connor, I think, yep. is going to be yeah. there. Yeah. So a lot of authors that you know we've had on, and so is it like a all day thing? Yeah, it starts early in the morning or sort of mid morning ish, and runs until uh, very late to in the five. afternoon. Okay, there ten to go. five. Yep. Does and it cost anything? I think it's free. I'm trying yeah, to get there. I'm pretty it's sure free. it's free. Yeah, it is free. Yeah. All right, sweet. All right, so you're going to be Author at the panels, presentations, readings, signings. Has Cork O'Connor your series? Is that going to be like a like a Bosch series on Amazon? Oh, that I would really love to see Seriously. that happen. <laughs> get a snowbay, get filmed up in Hoyt Lakes. You know? Yeah, yeah. Do you guys want to be my agents in Hollywood? <laughs> sure. <for that>? You, <laughs> we'll you are so it. enthusiastic. You could probably make love it happen. It. Actually, there are negotiations going on even as we speak. Really? For that. Um, I've got a. I'm. I'm going to be on a conference call next week for um, a possible original filming of Ordinary Grace <gasps> for uh, Netflix. Original oh, really? movie for Netflix. That That's is... what we're talking about. Oh. But you know, I've been dealing with Hollywood for yeah. years and years and years. I never believe anything until it's actually inked in blood on the page. Yeah. So, yeah. And we hear that from other everyone. authors. Everyone say, oh, that book got optioned like five years ago and it's been in limbo and it's yeah. getting passed around. And so every once in a while, and it's more the once in a while that something gets really fast tracked. Yeah, like the girl in the window that got fast gone and gone girl. Gone yeah, girl, the, the chain, chain is another one. Where it's production, but it's like the option. They want to snap up these good books, but you you want them. You want something to happen. Well, you, yeah. you don't necessarily want something to happen. Oh, what you, you want to happen is a really fine treatment of your novel or whatever yeah. by whoever translates it onto the screen. I mean, they can murder a really well, terrific the Goldfinch. story. Did you yeah. read that? Uh, I never read The Goldfinch, okay. nor have I seen the movie. My mom loved okay. it. Loved the book in the hated movie. Hated the movie, right? Yeah. Everyone, Everyone hated, hated the, movie. the movie. Yeah. Including the uh, the actors who were in it, I think, that read the book. Based on the, you know, people were just like, oh. If you're just joining us, we're with so William Kent Kroger. I'd rather Sorry. have nothing happen than have a travesty made. Yeah. yeah, you you said something about, you know, being a middle, it's not middle of the road, but a midline. Midlist. Midlist. Mid-list. We call Thank them midlist. And that's, you're not number one on the New York Times bestselling. You're always out there. You always have good books, but it's called midlist. I never heard that before. Mm-hmm. Did you, Laurie? Yeah, in the business, it's called midlist because you exist in terms of sales, sort of in the middle of everything. And if you, if you can linger there. Yes. Uh and it used to be that would be okay for a publisher anymore. If you start to linger there, they cut you because what they want to see is an upward trend in your sales. 
But I am with a publisher, Simon and Schuster. Um, my imprint is, is Atria, who has, who for a very long time was willing to allow me to grow. My sales were slow at first. They were always gradually upward, but they were slow at first. And then suddenly we began to see this nice sharp rise and uh, things have been sort of meteoric of late. Uh, I'm quite happy. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would imagine so. But this is something that we're hearing is how, you know, we know how the music industry changed. How has the book publishing industry changed so much for people? Say, we always get worried about our independent bookstores. I mean, those are our lifeline for re I mean, I right. don't ever not want to have that ever be an I, I, I that's so important. But yeah, even the publishers are changing how they okay. pay right. We're you. talking about two different okay. aspects yes. here. One is the publishing aspect of it, and that has changed a great deal as a result, particularly of the digital age. So ebooks are far more important now than they used to be. A significant portion of every author's income comes now from the sale of ebooks, virtual books. Is um, that added to the it added to the picture though? Or is it had distracted? It uh, I think if you talk to any author, he or she is going to say, I don't care how readers get my work. I right. just want them to have my work. And right. if an ebook is what they, they're Prefer, familiar with right. and is easy for them, fine. That's just audiobooks are great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, but the, on the book selling side, um, of course, Amazon has been the greatest challenge for the independent booksellers across the country. Mm-hmm. But you know what? And we lost a lot of the independent booksellers mm-hmm. when Amazon came onto the scene. But those, we are beginning to see a rise now in new independent stores uh, opening up because these people are savvy business people. They under, they have a good marketing plan. Mm-hmm. They understand the importance of connecting with the community uh, in so many ways. And, and they're doing quite nicely. Yeah. Isn't that so nice? Amazon is being competed with now like in a that. pretty significant way. Because I also think a lot of the a, a local independent bookstore, they're letting their people know, we you can order a book from me. We'll mail it to right. you. Know there is, we can act All like books are available. And you yeah. know the other thing that <laughs> bookstores can give readers that Amazon yeah. never can. Yeah, is a me. personal. Right. Yes. they can bring in authors. That's they right. They can connect the author personally with their readers. And people, I mean, everyone asks us always because yeah. we have book a book author on every week. Yeah. What did you like? What do you read? I mean, people want a personal touch when yep. it comes to re- recommending books. Yeah, and you get and you that guys from, do a wonderful job. From books. Thank, thank you. Thank you. From those of us who write the books, thank you. <laughs> well, we love reading. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, it's just truly a pleasure to read, and just we like all kinds of stories. And you, I, we love your Cork O'Connor series, and then we fell in love with. We were just like we were blown away at Ordinary Grace, just that. The humanness, it just really touched us. It's I so rich. This book is and so rich. And then this ten- tender land. I mean, I was like, I almost, I like, I want to know. You <laughs> hint at Odie's. Yes, you do. Future. Future life. You refer to yes. World War Two. Is that like, do did we leave the book open for maybe a sequel to this tender land? No, I think I pretty much told the story you of the did. four vagabonds. I kind of wrapped up their lives. Um I left a lot of Odie on... Yeah, okay, then just let's have Odie. Let's just check in with Odie. Maybe down the road we'll find out what Odie's life was like after This is William... William Kent Kruger's voice. People always say, you never say the author enough. You never tell us the title enough. So I keep saying that. <laughs> I like that you called him William Kent Kruger. I just want to call you. I she gave you W-K-K. a completely stripper name. I did. <laughs> William Kent Kruger will be dancing. <laughs> That's with a C. Um, no, we. I know what everyone always says. Who is that? Who's calling? Who's talking? But, you know, I was surprised even... 
in my area in Woodbury, they opened up a brand new Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I was shocked. It's lovely, you know. So here's like- what's happening with Barnes and Noble. Um, they were sold. Uh, they bought bought by a, a venture capitalist guy who had us a lot of money, but he turned over the running of that uh, chain to a guy who took over a what was the largest chain in Britain, and it was failing, and he brought it back. Oh, now he's in charge. I was just down in uh, Florida for the national. Keep going. We have one yeah. minute left. For the just National Convention you. of uh, Barnes & Noble Managers, this guy spoke and this guy got everybody on fire. Oh, We're going to see new life in Barnes & Noble. Yeah. New life in all of the all of the brick-and-mortar stores. It's so beautiful. Oh, good. That's good. so I'm exciting. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. You know, because that's just part of the pleasure of even finding a book. You have your recommendations. I always go in with a list. But then I like to just... Walk around and see what covers are saying love, hello to yes, me. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the cover of your book, This Tender Isn't Land. It beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. It's and so very perfect. evocative. Yeah. The sun on the Mississippi. I mean, it's just, yeah. you got to, yeah, you're getting this good This would treatment. be a lovely gift for <laughs> for someone you adore, and it's mm-hmm. a lovely thing just to give to yourself. Um, this Tender Land. We absolutely. We were captivated. Love having you here. Oh, I so love talking to you too. Oh no, and please say hi to Leaf Eric's um Leaf Larson. What's his name? Leaf Anger. Anger. Leaf he Anger. wrote because we didn't get to meet him in, in person and we were dying to. Well, yeah, we talked to him for Virgil Wander, that crazy guy. That I is love a crazy that book. story. <laughs> that is a crazy Tell him say hi. Minnesota. It, it, you you nailed it. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. All right. Listen, thank you so